0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: The Bible really means this, and Jesus here is going to expound and expand on the heart of the law, the Word of God, the law and the prophets, because he said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them, that heaven and earth will pass away before they pass away. And as you and I sit here today, we're firmly grounded on earth, it's still here, and this applies to us today as much as it applied to them there. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in
1: the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall
0: The mountains will melt Every chain of the past, you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing
1: the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, impossible.
0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby. Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 5. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: I'm reminded as I was studying uh, before I left, I even studied on the cruise, actually, and I studied when I got back, and I I may have overstudied, but we'll see about that, that we just live in a really peculiar age and a really peculiar season in this world. It's rather Dickinsonian. If you've read The uh, Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times. It is the worst of times. You know, we live in an era, in an age of unparalleled prosperity, comfort, Safety, really, even with all the, some of the things that go on in this world. And yet, we live in an era of rage, of entitlement, of uh, uh, we live in a culture of political reprisal, uh, a time of entitlement, uh, a time of reparations, a time of compensatory damages and punitive damages and penalties with interest and things like that. And it's challenging for a believer to live for Christ and to live in a Christ like way in this milieu, in this culture in which we live, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to be different. We're called to stand out, not to blend in, to be part of that era of anger. And the question is, how then shall we live? And the Sermon on the Mount is all about that. The Sermon on the Mount isn't about how to become a Christian. It's about how to live like a Christian, how to live as a Christian should live. It is Jesus Christ's only preserved sermon in its totality. It probably took him less than a half hour to preach. It's going to take me about 14 weeks to preach, but now I'm kind of unpacking it here. But what he does in that is he this lays out what a Christian looks like. And he starts with the heart condition. That's why we call it, we call the series, if you remember, Successful Kingdom Living, how to live like a Christian in an upside-down world, how to live right-side-up in an upside-down world. And he t- starts about how Living like a Christian begins on the inside and radiates outward. That's where we had the the Beatitudes, and that's how we've worked our way into this part of the passage because Christ enters our lives, and he changes us from the inside out, and that change shows. It manifests itself externally. What has gone on internally shows itself externally. And the Sermon on the Mount, you even see that play out. He starts with the Beatitudes and... A right understanding and application of the law in our hearts and our minds and our souls and then in chapter 6 it erupts into the area of worship and in chapter 7 generally speaking it sort of erupts into the public square and the way that we approach life in general the Christian life is observable tangible Jesus refers to it as salt it has a preservative effect on those around Uh, salt was a uh, was a preservative in those days they didn't have refrigerators They they rub salt on things and it slowed down the the deterioration process the way that our influence on the culture is supposed to slow that down it's a it's an antiseptic Uh, it uh, kills uh, bacteria Uh, it kills germs it it kills uh, things that damage and destroy and our conduct our faith as we change this world one soul at a time is supposed to have that effect as well He refers to Christians as a city set on a hill, a light put for all to see to give light in the room. And he says to us, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And what we understand in that is this, is that Christian faith just is not talk. The Christian faith isn't just theology. I mean, one of the things that's driven me crazy throughout my pastoral ministry is there are people who know theology and they can talk to you about theology, but they can't live out their faith. And that's why it says you're salt and light, because you're to have an influence. You're to be, you're to so let your light shine. What's happened to you inside of you is supposed to manifest itself so conspicuously that everybody around you looks at you and says, Who put a quarter in you? What happened to you? Why are you the way that you are? Because we have new life in Christ. And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we ask ourselves, How then shall we live? And Jesus is answering that question, How we should live? And if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48, we're gonna wrap up chapter five. We're gonna wrap up that you've heard it said, but I say to you antithetical statements that the Pharisees have taught this, but the Bible really means this. And Jesus here is gonna expound and expand on the heart of the law, the word of God, the law and the prophets, because he said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them, that heaven and earth will pass away before they pass away. And as you and I sit here today, We're firmly grounded on earth, it's still here. And this applies to us today as much as it applied to them there. So let's read Matthew chapter five, verses 38 to 48. What does it say? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard it, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Because he makes the sun rise on the good and on the evil and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, and there Gentiles means unbelievers, do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that... That's a lot right there. That's a tall order he's calling us to. But you know what? He never calls us to do anything he doesn't give us the ability to do. So let me just start off by telling you what is not going on here. Because this part of the text, indeed, much of the Sermon on the Mount has been misapplied and misinterpreted in very crazy kinds of ways. I'll tell you what's not going on here. This is not a text upon which you want to base your pacifism. It's not. This isn't teaching passivism at all. I know it's very popular today, particularly and was in the sixties and seventies, but this isn't about passivism. You can know that by looking at Luke twenty two, thirty-six, or just going into the old testament and see where Jesus orders the elimination of the Canaanites, right? It's not about passivism. It's not an anti capital punishment text because Jesus prescribed capital punishment in Genesis nine, six and the law, and even before the law of Moses was given, right? And it's not about willy-nilly wasting your money on people and giving money to anybody who asks for it so they can buy drugs and alcohol because you feel guilty about the way they are. It's not about that at all, right? Jesus in John twelve eight deals with that, Twelve five through 8. He says, you know, you always have the poor with you. They're always going to be here, but you won't always have me. So it's not about that kind of stuff. We'll leave the social gospel to the dead and dying mainline denomination, We'll leave the true gospel to us. So what is going on here? Well, let's take this kind of a chunk at a time, shall we? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What's going on here is Jesus is getting at the heart of the law. So he starts out with, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He has no problem with that, right? I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. And today we talk about lex talionis, which is the basis for all law in the Western world, right here. All liability law, all good liability law. All legal law. And what's happened here in Jesus' time is the Pharisees had begun had begun applying things that the government, in those days it was a theocracy, are responsible for to personal squabbles and gripes. And, and he's saying you can't do that. Now, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life isn't about vengeance. It's not about reprisals. It's not about reparations. It's about limiting liability. You see that in Exodus chapter, uh, I think it's 22. But what it's really about is limiting what can be done to a person in light of a crime they've committed or some act of carelessness they've done? You know, this whole era of honor killings and doing unto others what they did to us doesn't fit into all this stuff. This, a lot of our tort law today is just so over the top. But what Jesus is saying here is he's telling them you, you don't have the right to settle personal scores. You're a Christian, you follow me. And then what he does, and this is what people often miss, he gives three examples from the culture. And the context here is about dealing with the evil person, dealing with the evildoer. So he says, if the guy slaps you, turn the other cheek. He's talking about this. These three cases have to do with those who are being persecuted for their relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's funny, he mentions the the right side of the cheek because that's called the heretic slap. In Jewish custom in those days, if you wanted to really... Offend somebody and humiliate them publicly and demonstrate to them and others that you thought they were beneath contempt, you gave them the backhand across the face, your right hand to the right hand to the side of their face. And it meant that you didn't take them seriously. Later on, that evolved in Western culture. You know, where people take a glove and slap somebody and they call them out for a duel, personal reprisal. He's saying, absorb the blow, don't respond. If anything, make yourself more vulnerable to their silliness. And then he talks about those who would. Uh, Uh, pressure you to go to serve them in those days before this time the persians had their own version of the pony express and they would ride their horsey to deliver the mail that horse would wear out they'd go commandeer somebody else's horse ride that horse that would wear out they'd go commandeer somebody else's horse the romans adapted it for people moving logistics and supplies they'd come into an area and they would make somebody carry their stuff for a mom and the jews despised that It just drove them crazy. And he's saying to his followers, look, you know, you have an opportunity to be salt and light. You have the opportunity to be a city set on a hill. Don't react the way the culture reacts. Respond differently. Stand out. Don't blend in. Go the extra mile. Then he talks about the whole, the the tunic, you know, and the cloak and that whole thing. That was about a very special type of lawsuit. You were never allowed to take somebody's shirt their night shirt or their tunic whatever you want to call it but if you really wanted to humiliate somebody you would take them to the cleaners no pun intended talking about garments here and but you had to return the tunic at night because a Jewish man had to be able to sleep in that but what he's saying look if somebody's pressuring you because of your relationship to me and they've ruined you in every way they know how and now they're trying to take your tunic give them your cloak too show them that I'm more important than stuff and then there are things people would do trying to take advantage of Christians, they'd try to borrow from them and wreck them. They would not, they would not repay them. It's funny, when I was training pastors in Russia about 10 years ago, I'm getting old, um, the imams would come to the Christian pastors in the city. I was in a Muslim uh, province in Russia, 60-80% Muslim, I forget now, and they would leave money with them because they didn't trust their own to keep their money because they knew they'd steal them blind. And then later on, they'd come back and then they'd take the property of the pastor and these pastors would hold the money for them and then return it to show that they were good stewards and could be trusted. That's what's kind of going on here. So there's no social gospel, social action, social justice going on in this passage at all. People like to make it that, but that's irrelevant. Personal insults are to be absorbed, and you're not to react. There's no pushback. You're, you are to always live as christ's servant and if they hated him they're going to hate you and if they persecuted him they're going to persecute you and what you have to can you imagine a roman soldier he presses this guy into service makes him carry his stuff for a mile the guy goes well you know i've got a little it's not sundown yet i can maybe go a little further and the soldier's like say what he goes well you know i'm a follower of jesus christ and you need help can you imagine the divine appointment that turns into when you do the unexpected that's what we're talking about today right doing the unexpected when you don't do what the culture does, when you, don't, when you don't punch back, this is a jaw-dropping as opposed to a jaw-breaking faith, where people look at you because you don't do what other people do. That's what's going on here in the passage. And this is the way it was supposed to be for the Jewish people. In Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people. It's just, you know, the Jewish people had lost sight of it judaism was morally bankrupt and jesus is teaching the law it was meant that way it was meant to be taught let's look at the next chunk in verse 43 you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy it doesn't say that anywhere in the bible that's rabbinical tradition but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that there's your purpose clause you may be sons of your father who is in heaven For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only those who are your brothers, what more are you doing than others? For even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, do the same. Therefore, this is the point of the passage here, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. From the very first, you have heard it said, but I say to you, sink in. Because Jesus is not upending or abridging or altering the law here. He's teaching it the way it was meant to be taught. He's teaching it the way that it shows up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He's calling them and he's calling you and I, by extension, as we read this passage today, to do the unexpected. Because if we are poor in spirit, grieving for sin, hungering and thirsting to after to do what god calls us to do trying to be peacemakers repro- reconciling men and women to god then we're not going to trust in conventional wisdom we're going to trust in what i would call confessional or convictional wisdom because we confess christ and our convictions are mapped out for us there and throughout the pages of all the scriptures and so we're going to do the unexpected we're not going to live in an upside down way the way this upside down broken and hurting world lives we're going to live right side up we're going to try to live out our faith as successfully as possible we're not talking about sinless perfection here we're talking about a striving after righteousness and you know when it says therefore you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect he's not calling us the sinful perfection the word there comes from a Greek word teleos which means complete thorough mature and if anybody is thorough and mature and complete it's God and we are to strive to be like him And so today's message is called Doing the Unexpected, subtitled, Christ Makes Us Different. And today we want to talk about how are we different? How are we different? How do we live differently? What does it take for us to live differently? Because the reality is, is that Christ will use you to change the world one soul at a time if you live out your faith in a way that is faithful to him, in a way that pleases him, in a way that honors him. And the question we have to ask and answer is, what does it take to do this? What does it take to do this? And really, today I'm going to show you three ways in which you can live out your faith in an eternity changing, life changing, transformational way, which will bring glory to God, good to others, and no doubt growth to you. And the first thing that he calls us to do, really, as you read through this passage and think through the whole discourse, is he calls us to live generously. We live generously as Christians. Because those who have received much, much forgiveness ought to forgive much. Where do we see all this? We see this beginning in verse 38, going through verse 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In other words, do the unexpected. We must do the unexpected by responding in a Christ-like manner rather than reacting like the world. I'm reminded that he was humiliated and slapped, the so-called heretic slap. He was taken to court. People sought to compel him to do things against his will. And they're going to do the same with us. And what we're not saying here is roll over and play dead. I'm not saying that at all. You know, if somebody tries to kick your door in and steal your property... I can tell you what's going to happen at my house. That's not about persecuting you for your faith. But, I, you know, I think of the couple in Colorado who refused to violate their conscience by baking a cake for a wedding that they could not endorse or approve of. And if you watch that play out, and as they got, they got the pants suit off of them, metaphorically speaking, if you watch them interviewed, there was never any anger or bitterness or venom or resentment. There was brokenness. There was sadness. There was distress, but they never got nasty. They conducted themselves appropriately, generously. They were demonized. They were threatened. You know, it reminds me of First uh, Peter 2, where it says he was reviled, and he did not revile in return. He was persecuted, and he uttered no threats, but he kept on inju- adju- entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's what this couple did, and the Supreme Court exonerated them while I was in Europe pretty much, left some of the job undone. But God, you know, we trust God. You know, you abide in Christ, you keep His word, you let Him do the heavy lifting. You don't seek your own revenge. Sometimes we are called to suffer. We should suffer like a Christian. We must keep on entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously. It's not about tirades, it's not about crazy YouTube videos or Facebook posts or Twitter things. We may not receive justice in this world, but we will receive it in the next. God doesn't ask you to be perfect, He asks you to be faithful. And you and I, our frames, the psalmist tells us, are like dust. We sometimes fall short. But we're to live a life characterized by trying to do the unexpected. Who knew how that would turn out for these bakers in Colorado? It turned out well, relatively speaking. We are not to be vindictive. We are to be indicative of how a Christian should live who follows Christ. In Romans 12, 17 to 21, it says this. The Apostle Paul For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do the unexpected. Now people are going, what does that mean to heap coals on his head? That's an ancient tradition. You don't need to worry about it. We don't do it today. I don't see anybody with any kind of big vessels with fire on your head, so we won't get into that. But the bottom line is, when you live like a Christian, in its own way, it shames the person who ought to be ashamed. And hopefully what it does is it makes them think about what makes you different and why you believe what you believe. And it may gain you a hearing or an audience. So we just don't talk like Christians. We respond like Christians, like Christ followers. We live out our faith with our lips and our lives, just like the Old Testament and the New Testament taught. Speaking of the Old Testament, Exodus 23, four and five. Here's the law. What does it say? Love Love your neighbor and hate your enemy? No, it doesn't say that. Look at verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That would be unexpected today. This is the active engagement of the culture that Israel was called to do, and they failed. You know, Exodus 19 talks about, I think it's 6, talks about there to be priests, and intercessors between god and man and point people to god and they failed they withdrew they cloistered themselves but old testament to new god wants his people to connect to reach outside of their comfort zones into a hurt and fallen world the pharisees had lost sight of this
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab, as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org.